Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and it's postseason softball. Enough said. There is just nothing like the road to the Women's College World Series. And this year is especially interesting, and we will get into all of that. But first, reminders for ways to keep up with us throughout it all. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Softball. That's B-L-E-A-V. Subscribe to Believe in Softball on YouTube and actually watch the episodes And you know what? Why don't we go ahead and go through today's order? Look, I got, for those of you on video, got my Nike softball shirt. I'm just team softball today. I am rooting for softball and I'm pumped. So for today's order, first we'll cover our bases, give you some news and updates in the softball world as usual. Then we'll head into today's content, which instead of an interview, you know, I had some content planned, but just with everything going on right now with our first postseason in forever, it feels Thought I'd mix it up. So we're going to have a bracket breakdown for postseason college softball. Coming off selection show Sunday, we're into regionals now. There's just so much to talk about, and we just we got to dedicate some time to it. So we're going to. And then we'll end things, as usual, with the foul tip of the week, our new segment this season where we share tips to help us get better. All right, here we go. Covering our bases. First, a quick word from our sponsor because they have our back, and that's always a good feeling. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. They have you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Remember, BetOnline, guys, your online sportsbook experts. So first, before we get into the madness that is mayhem, right? This is the equivalent. People call it March Madness. I've said it before. Mayhem is where it's at with softball. I did not coin the term. The first time I ever heard it was Beth Moens, so I'll give her that credit. But I love it. But before we get into that, just a couple things on international softball, because it's just fun being able to talk about that more and more again, not only with COVID, but with the Olympics and everything going on. So real quick... Mm -hmm. The European Softball Championships are this summer. In Italy, June 27th to July 3rd, it's actually a qualifier for the 2022 World Games to be hosted in Birmingham, Alabama next year. So we're going to have things like Team Italy, the Olympic team. Yes, Erica Piancaselli, our friend, previous guest on the show, the captain. She will be there. And the Netherlands, who she told us on the show is their big rival that they actually beat to eventually qualify for the Olympics. Then there's the Spanish national team, France, Great Britain, the Czech Republic, Ukraine, Russia, Hungary, Bulgaria. There's a lot more, too. And honestly, like, it's pretty awesome to see how far softball goes and stretches in the world. 
Like these are the things that I wish I paid attention to sooner when I was younger. Cause I don't know if I realized the full scale and obviously it's grown since then as well, but I don't know if a lot of other people realize that some of these countries even have softball. So it's just really cool. Like look into that, right? Like I'm going to be keeping tabs and then looking around at the Olympic teams in addition to Italy, the Japanese Olympic team. So I mentioned recently in a recent episode that Team Canada finally named their Olympic roster for 2021 in Tokyo. So Japan did as well, which is like kind of ironic now they think of it since they're the host country. We just found out their roster, but it is what it is. It's been a weird year. So the 15 players that will be going to the Olympics are now in a two-week training camp until the end of the month. And Yukiko Ueno, the legend, the ace that she is, is coming off of an injury, right? We've mentioned that briefly before. She threw a bullpen session this week. And in a press conference, she said, and I'll quote her, it feels like it's finally starting. I've made a start toward the Olympics in a tense atmosphere. I want to do what I need to do and live without regrets. Words to live by. No, just casual. I mean, this is the woman that won gold over USA in Beijing in 2008. Let's remember that. She's been in the game forever. From what I've heard, she's also adjusted really well later in her career as well. So just thinking about seeing her go against Kat Osterman or Monica Abbott again this summer, I mean, fire me up. I just cannot wait. I am so excited. So just had to share some of that with you guys too, because it's wild to think, as we've talked about with Rachel Garcia and Gabby Plain, it's just a month or so, less than two months later, after the Women's College World Series, after the championship, are we going to have the Olympics? So it's not that far away. But before we get there... We got to start with postseason softball, baby. This is what's coming up next. We're here. We're in it. We made it. So the NCAA is opening up postseason softball and baseball to full capacity. This is pending local guidelines in the area where the events are being hosted. But this does mean that some of the regionals are going to be 100% full with fans, like the Austin Regional, Tucson Regional is opening up. The community, the softball community is really excited about it. And I, of course, I hope everybody stays safe. I hope we got the vaccine going, all that kind of stuff. Because we still have some work to do to fully beat this thing, guys. But I've seen so many tweets about how pumped people are to be able to watch games and support teams in person again. And for players to be able to play in front of fans again as well. There really is, like speaking from experience, there's nothing like it. And Super Regionals, for example, like in my experience, I did it at home as a freshman. And then we went to Alabama when I was a junior and both were super, super special, like extra, like just a little bit different than conference, a little bit different than preseason, right? Like just special. And the crowds were a big part of that. So it's something that everyone's really excited about. And the reason why is because we get to see the bracket breakdown in person And on our television screens, of course, because there are too many games. Like for me, base is loaded on ESPN, all about it. Give me the multiple games at one time. I love it. So with that being said, let's head into today's content, which is the bracket breakdown. So like we said, the NCAA tournament is here. Softball Twitter has been buzzing. That's just saying it mildly. Since Sunday's selection show revealing the 2021 bracket. As it should be, honestly, it's one of the wildest brackets we've probably seen in forever. Maybe even more so, too, because we didn't have one last year. 
And there's just been so much buildup to this one. So it just, you know, we're all a little wound up. Okay. And I'll be honest, I was shook. Like, this isn't just about regionals specifically either, which we're in now, but this is about the implications for the entire postseason, which we'll get into. But I've slept on it. I've overanalyzed it because I always do. I've processed it a little bit more, but I'm ready to do this now. So just a reminder too, for context, it's been two years since we had postseason, right? There are 64 teams selected to participate in the NCAA tournament. The top 16 seeds host regionals this weekend. The top eight seeds also will be hosting super regionals next weekend. And the eight winners that come out on top from super regionals go to the Women's College World Series in Oklahoma City. And from there, the bracket continues. You know, there's a bracket for OKC and the final two teams play a championship series. But it all starts when the bracket is set, which is what we're going through today. And you can find the bracket online. So I'm not going to go through all 64 teams, you know, one at a time, but I am going to break it down a bit. So let's just take a look first at the top 16 seeds. The first three to four seeds that were revealed, you know, they seemed okay. Like nothing overly surprising about anything. OU, number one. Okay. They're one of the most successful teams that we've seen in recent memory. UCLA was number two, all right? Reigning national champions, one of the best teams we've seen in the last 15 years. Rachel Garcia, say no more. Fair. (laughs) Then you got the SEC tournament champions in Alabama and the co-regular season SEC champs with Florida. So those are your top four. Pretty predictable, like I said. But from here on is when it got really interesting. So number five was Oklahoma State, number six, Arkansas, number seven, LSU, number eight, Missouri, number nine, Tennessee, number 10, Florida State. Okay, swish that around your mouth a little bit. That's what we had for the top 10. Now, continuing through to 16. Number 11 was Arizona. Number 12 was Texas. Number 13, Duke. Number 14, Kentucky. Number 15, ASU. And number 16, Washington. A lot of information. Hopefully you watch the selection show, but just reiterating. Now, all of these schools were included in the list of 20 potential regional hosting sites that the NCAA released ahead of time. And this is based on whose facilities could accommodate the games with COVID protocols, et cetera. Except the only one is Duke. They were not on that list, so we knew going into the selection show that they're not going to host. Georgia is the number two seed within that regional. So they're the next team under Duke of the four that are going to be there. They have the facilities and they were on that list. So they are actually going to get to host instead, even though they're not the top seed in their regional. And I will say this, this is not a new concept. This actually happened to me in Stanford my sophomore year. Hawaii was the top seed in our regional, but we had the facilities and a more centralized location to allow easier travel for everybody else. So we actually got to host. And it was actually pretty cool because we started that season playing at Hawaii, like literally got to fly to the island, the main island, in our first tournament in preseason. Tried to tell the freshmen, like, guys, don't get used to this. This is not how every season starts. But then we got to end. I mean, unfortunately, I wish we would have went further, but we got to end the season that same way, too. And it's one of those full circle stories that I feel like comes up a lot with college softball. So it was just, it was just interesting looking back. But notably left out of this year's top 16 seeds and not hosting 
is Oregon, Clemson, Michigan, and Virginia Tech. Meaning that these were also teams and schools that were included on that list of 20 potential hosts. So these were the four that did not end up posting out of that list. Okay, so it's a lot of information, like I said. The committee, like once we look at how they approach this, like how did they actually select these things? The committee was said to have not really considered conference play in their decisions. But if you look at how it went down, there are clear themes on how each Power Five conference landed. So I'll just I'll just go through them. The Pac-12 was, I'll be frank, disrespected. They only had one team, one, in the top 10 seeds nationally. For context, the latest coaches poll this week included four Pac-12 teams ranked in the top 10 in the country. Five of the top 12 ranked teams in the country are from the Pac-12. You got the three best pitchers in the country, with Rachel Garcia, Megan Faramo, Gabby Plain, two of which, Garcia and Plain, are going to be Tokyo Olympians. Okay. Then you got number 10 ranked, Oregon, not hosting a regional. Interesting. Number six ranked, Washington, then comes in as the number 16 seed. So they are barely hosting, barely eligible to host for one, for regionals. I, had, I got to talk to Heather Tarr before the last week in a Pac-12 and they played Stanford on the Pac-12 network. And she was like, yeah, we're, we're not trying to just host once. We're trying to host twice. Well, they're barely going to host once. And the big talk of the town was the walkout. <laughs> you know, you're seeing all the reactions of the teams, like so excited when they hear their name called. And then you get to Washington when they're called and literally it, it looked synchronized. Like the whole team just walked out of the room that they were in. That was it. And I get it, to be honest. I mean, when you're ace, again, future Olympian, Pac-12 pitcher of the year, only lost two games the entire year, throwing over 200 innings on the season. Not like, okay, she only threw a few games. No, no, no. Threw them all, basically. <laughs> got the three-time defensive player of the year in the Pac-12 in Sis Bates. You got all-American hitters on the team. You played UCLA, almost went to the championship series last time in 2019, right? Really, like, th this is a warranted reaction, in my opinion. I do think, of course, you want to have gratitude and all that stuff, but I get it. And then if you look deeper into the bracket as well, like beyond regionals, UCLA and ASU are potentially meeting in supers. Like if they win their regionals as likely, they're going to meet in super regionals. They're going to knock each other out before you even get to the World Series. Now, if Stanford were to upset Arkansas, which is where they're going for regionals, then they could actually run into Arizona in supers. Mm -hmm. And the same situation happens there as well. So it's, it's a tough, tough break all around and doesn't quite seem reflective of the talent that is in that conference. But I have to say, you also got to keep in mind the Big 12 and the Big 10 here. Like there are some side effects of, what, of everything I just said about the Pac-12 that affects the Big 12 as well. Think about it. OU is the number one overall seed. And they have to potentially run into Washington because they're number 16. They have to maybe play that Washington team, that talented team in Super Regionals. You're the number one team. You shouldn't have to play a team like Washington that, that early. And then if, if Texas 
gets past Oregon and regionals because apparently this is reality TV and we're, we're sending Oregon to Texas. Texas and Oklahoma State would meet in Super Regionals too. So they're also knocking each other out. And then you look at the Big Ten and it was almost like, hey, wait, who's the Big Ten? Forgot forgot about them, right? Like they were basically punished for not playing non-conference games. I mean, they were none of the teams that got in the top 16 seeds. Michigan, who this year, Big Ten champions, got the coach of the year, the legend, Carol Huskins. Player of the year, pitcher of the year, they have to play Washington in regionals. So even earlier in the process, they have to go all the way to Washington. Okay. Then you got Minnesota, who's ranked, and they have Amber Pfizer on their team, who led them to the World Series in the circle and just got drafted by Athletes Unlimited. They have to play UCLA in regionals. That's a tough regional, not just for, for them playing UCLA, but UCLA playing them as well. And it, it's reminiscent of back in 2017 when Minnesota was ranked number one in the country in the polls and did not host a regional. I mean, it was a travesty. Like, it was ridiculous. And I don't just say that because Coach Alistair, who's now the Stanford coach, who was my assistant coach previously and a friend of mine, like, was the coach. It was just plain. Everyone was like, what? And they had to go to Alabama. And Coach Murphy even mentioned that. Like he said, it reminds him of that situation when asked about this year's bracket. But this time he was making a comparison to an ACC team. So when we look at that conference, Clemson, what a year. But not only are they not hosting, they're going to the number three seed, Alabama, for regionals. Okay, they're ranked number 13 in the country. They're the ACC regular season champions. The player and coach of the year honorees are on their team for the ACC. How does a power five champion have to go to a number three overall seed? Because what that says is that not only were they not in the top 16 to where they didn't get a seed and didn't get to host, but they were apparently so far out of the top 16 that they actually have to go to number three and go to Tuscaloosa. Like now they're saying they're way down the list. It's just interesting. And then Duke not actually hosting, as I mentioned. It's not only that they're not hosting, but like chalk another one up for the SEC. Georgia gets to host, right? Even though based on the actual seeds, they shouldn't be. Hosting is an advantage. Listen, I went to postseason every single year I was in college. I didn't have to travel until Super Regionals my junior year. So I had Regionals and Super Regionals freshman year regionals sophomore year, regionals junior year, and then finally had to travel. So for supers, that's when we went to Alabama. And it's it's an advantage. It just is. I mean, you don't have to spend the energy on travel, adjusting to time zones, that kind of stuff. Familiarity with the field itself, like that's what you practice on every day. You know what the hops are like. And then it's your fan base, obviously. Especially since, again, the news, the latest is that college softball is going to be able to have fans back, right? It's an advantage. There's no, there's no argument about it. The other thing I'll say is that it is interesting that Florida State has the highest ACC seed. They're the number 10 seed. Compared to the two ACC champions, you got Duke, again, number 13 seed overall, and Clemson, who's out of the top 16, like they're not part of it, right? 
it's, it's interesting because Florida State didn't win the conference, right? But they, they do have a higher ranking in the coaches poll. They're number eight compared to Clemson, who's number 13, and Duke, who's number 17. So things just kind of feel like maybe out of, out of order a little bit or a little bit out of sorts there. But it is what it is. The SEC. 12 out of 13 teams made it into the tournament. 12 out of 13 teams. For context, the Pac-12 only has nine teams even in the conference for softball since USC, Washington State, and Colorado don't have teams. So it's not 12, it's nine in softball's case. But So more teams than even exist in the Pac-12 made it to the tournament from the SEC. Not only that, but half the regionals will be hosted by the SEC. So again, seven are the top 16 seeds, plus you got Georgia doing it for Duke. Five, though, are also in the top eight seeds, which means they'll host Super Regionals, too. It also means they're not going head-to-head as much leading up to the Women's College World Series as some of the other conferences. So, okay, now that we got through all that, if we think about reactions, and like I said, softball Twitter was nuts. So it's not something that I could cover, you know, in one session here. But uh, there are a few call-outs that I want to make. So there are some softball leaders that were particularly vocal. You know, you had Kelly I from UCLA, who her hair was on point and she was spitting facts. So real quick, before we get into what she was saying, her hair is goals. Like, I know AJ Andrews said guides, not goals, but no, it's just straight up goals. It's always perfect. Perfect pony when she's coaching. Perfectly curled, shiny, healthy, great volume. And then she was talking to ESPN after the bracket was revealed and just perfectly, perfectly done. It just looks so effortless. So needed to acknowledge that first. <laughs> but the facts that she was laying down were about, she's the one who said that the Pac-12 was disrespected. Like she, she said it that like four or five teams were in the top eight for most of the season They even tried to strengthen their schedule by playing extra games against each other, doing a four-game series to include the non-conference game every weekend against each other. And she said she was really disappointed. That's it, you know. And Mike Candrea, there's quotes and, like, videos and things circulating that he said, and he's talking about that the Pac-12 needs to step up in terms of self-promotion so that we don't have to relive the bracket that we just saw basically is what he said. And it wasn't just PAC 12 coaches though. Obviously there's some bias there, right? Like, of course it wasn't just them though. Like Aubrey Monroe, who's on team USA, who's a Florida alum, won a national championship there. She even said it. She's like, I'm sec all day, like for life. But the PAC 12 seems like they, you know, weren't necessarily treated great. And I love Jessica Schultz. So she's an OU alum, catcher. I think I played against her when I was like 12, probably. But I loved her tweet. She was like, is this like the selection show or is this Bravo TV? Like what's going on? Relatable for me. So just a lot of reactions, strong reactions across the board. But most people overall agreed that like they had strong opinions against what was revealed in the bracket. Even if people didn't specify, they still said like, Whoa, I have so many questions. Even Monica Abbott said that. She was like, so many questions about this bracket, right? So just to break this down further, it's important to 
call out that what's considered by the committee, what they cared about was teams who played more in the RPI. And the RPI is a little bit complicated. Um, like I remember being a player and being like, I don't really understand what this is, but it stands for rating percentage index. And this is a different way of ranking teams. So it's based partly on your team. Like if you're a team that has an RPI, your team's winning percentage, partly, partly your opponent's winning percentage, and then also the winning percentage of your opponent's opponents is the last piece of it. And the last two that I mentioned, so your opponent's percentage and your opponent's opponents, puts together the strength of schedule. So that's like 75% of, of your RPI comes from that. And there's an actual formula to this, right, to add this up. For me, I think people have criticized it in general, but for this year in particular, it just wasn't that simple. You know, a lot of coaches I talked to before broadcasting games kind of said, yeah, you know, the RPI doesn't mean as much this year. But clearly it was a huge consideration for the committee. Like that's the only explanation other than like favoritism, you know, right? But it just, it wasn't apples to apples. A lot of SEC teams planned a typical full schedule during the COVID-19 pandemic. Other conferences and their teams were more conservative with travel and protocols, like the Big Ten not playing non-conference. But there's also things that were out of their control, like geographical limitations. Local guidelines and rules in California, for example, were pretty strict. Like Stanford, as an example, didn't get on campus as a team until February 4th, like including the freshmen. They didn't get to actually be on campus with their team until right before they had to start playing games because you're following the rules in Santa Clara County in California. And they ended up only because of all these protocols playing two teams from outside California in all of preseason. And again, Pac-12 added that fourth game in every series to try to count as a non-conference, help strengthen things with their non-conference schedule, but it didn't seem to be enough or considered. So it's just that the way it shakes out at the end of the day is that the path to the Women's College World Series has been made hard for non-SEC teams. Conference might not have been considered explicitly by the committee, but to say that it wasn't a factor in how the bracket turned out doesn't quite tell the whole story because a lot of these scheduling decisions were made at the conference level or, again, regional. So teams within the same conference were affected similarly. Like, that that's how it works. So even if that's not what was intended, that's still sort of how the chips fell. And I think the frustrating part, this is for me, but also just what I gather from everybody else too. The frustrating part is that national rankings and polls are not considered and they often don't align with RPI. This has been a thing for years. Like this is not a new thing. Again, like it's been a couple years for us since we've been in this situation with postseason, but this has been the case forever. And it's frustrating, right? Like it's something I've always been frustrated by. Why do we have rankings then? If it, if it doesn't ultimately like change things, you know? And for the coaches poll specifically, obviously there are multiple polls, but for the coaches poll, these are the coaches actually facing these teams. Pretty good opinion to get, right? Like you'd think that that would hold some water. It does in terms of just socially, it holds water for people. Why doesn't it matter more at the end of the day and at the end of the season when it might matter the most? 
I mentioned national rankings too several times when I was breaking down the conferences in the bracket, like for context on why why people were so shocked because some highly ranked teams were not seeded. And that's just a big source of the frustration for the softball world. And it's like that. And for the people who saw some of these teams actually play, see their stats, et cetera, the ones who are paying attention to those teams also just frustrated because they can see the intangibles too. You know, these, these people are players. Yes, but there are people and you know, the scorebook doesn't catch everything. So I think the issue is that the way that it feels right now is a bit divisive especially in a year like this where, well, in the States, things were pretty divisive, but it's also just not an even playing field in terms of what teams could and could not do with their schedule, even down to funding, like being able to keep players after last year with the eligibility grant and all that stuff, like money, you know, it's not evenly distributed across the country either, let alone the scheduling and the protocols, all that stuff. So my thing is that I don't like the idea of conferences being pit against each other. That is the opposite of growing the game. We grow the game by working together. I mean, can you imagine if the Pac-12 and the SEC joined forces in terms of promotion and things like that? More. Just with the history of the Pac-12 and the investment and engagement of the SEC, it's just magic. Like, we see that on the field every year, like just in the product, like at the World Series during the games. Let's do that a little bit more off the field. And around the field, too. You know, we're all team softball. But, you know, with that being said, too, I think it's it's important to focus on the positives. Firstly, we have postseason softball. It's been over 700 days since the last postseason game that we saw at the World Series back in 2019. 700 days. Then you have to think about the history. I mean, there are some really cool things that happened. There were six teams that are in the tournament, and it's their first ever appearance in their school's history. So Clemson and Duke, which are awesome. Clemson, this is their first full season that they've had ever as a program. They're in the freaking tournament. Then you look at Duke, It's this is team four, and they're a freaking top 16 seed. Then you look at South Dakota State, which shout out to previous guest and friend, Kiki Stokes. She's an assistant coach there. Awesome. George Washington, Villanova, and Morgan State also on that list. Like. That's, that's cool. I love firsts. I love that. I love when barriers are broken. And then you have like some of the anecdotal stuff. Like we talked about like the reactions when teams find out like, oh man, we're in the tournament. We made it. Our name was called. Great example. A Northern Iowa player, Kaylin Packard tweeted that the moment that her team was called in the selection show and they knew they were going to postseason was the quote, absolute best moment of my life, end quote. I mean, that's the good stuff. Like, I I get a little bit, like, I get chills, get a little bit emotional because I I know the feeling. And I want more and more girls and young women to have that feeling. I mean, that's the stuff that matters, and that's actually how you grow the game. That right there. And I was also, just on a personal level, so happy for my alma mater. You know, for Stanford, it's their second straight appearance in the NCAA tournament. They got to have that moment. Again, they got to have it in 2019 too. That's when it really kind of hit me in the feels, but they got to do it again. And this is something that 
when I was playing, it was basically an automatic. Like it wasn't an if we were going to go to postseason. It was, are we going to go to the World Series? Like how far are we going to take this thing, right? But, you know, there's some tough times in there. Six-year drought from 2013 to 2019 going to postseason. And to see them get to do that and just programs like them. Like I think they're also representative of programs who go through tough times. And they got to do things like have their travel day, like travel to Arkansas, right? That's part of the experience. Like I remember the first time that I was ever on a chartered plane in my entire life or any sort of like special flight of any kind was senior year going to Louisiana for regionals. And they let the senior class sit in first class, even though there wasn't any first class service or anything. But, you know, we got to sit in the bigger seats. Like we got the cool blue seats and it was just cool. You know, like it was a cool experience and there's just nothing like the feeling. There's nothing like it. And so not only happy for Stanford, for programs like them, teams like them, and just for all 64 teams at the end of the day. And I think in terms of surprises or things to sort of pay attention to, there's plenty. (laughs) I mean, I mentioned some already, like the Oregon-Texas thing, Oregon going to Texas for regionals. Okay, yeah, sure. This is where like the Bravo TV stuff comes in. There's drama because Mike White, the head coach of Texas, used to be the head coach of Oregon. Now they're going to face each other and some of the girls that he used to coach are still on the team, blah, blah, blah. But it's not just because of that stuff that it'll be interesting. It's because they're both good freaking teams. I mean, what an early taste of like a super regional World Series type of matchup. Love it. Like cannot wait. UCLA regional. I mentioned Minnesota, like I said, talented team. Well, look at the rest of them too. I mean, Fresno State is a good program with a solid tradition. I mean, they're one of the few programs that have a national championship outside of the Pac-12, the SEC, or OU, <laughs> you know, like Laura Berg. Oh, what a legend. Now she's a head coach at Oregon state, but like she's one of the greats out of Fresno state, you know, lovey Jung before she went to Arizona, went to Fresno state, like you can't sleep on them. Okay. I think it's going to be interesting. And then like bias or no bias. Like I do think that with Arkansas and Stanford being in that regional, like it could be interesting. Stanford's on the rise. They had a gauntlet of a conference schedule that prepped them for postseason, and you got Elena Vodderman. I mean, all regional pitcher. She was like a finalist for freshman of the year. She's unbelievable. Like, she's the real deal. That off-speed pitch, whoo, dirty. And they got lots of speed and versatility on their team offensively. Like, they, they have some weapons there. So I'm, I'm thinking it'll be interesting. But I also think, you know, there's plenty more I could say, but I think we're going to be surprised by the surprises also. There's so much parity in softball. Anyone can win on any given day. And there's always something that we wouldn't have predicted, right? Like there's always something that happens that we're like, whoa, and I'm just here for it. I miss that. I think we all do. And I do think too, and based on some of the stuff I've already said, that Super Regionals is going to be some of the craziest we've seen in a while. I mean, it's going to be some World Series matchup type of thing. And I I just, I love Supers. I love Supers. Maybe I'm kind of stuck on it because... I went twice and got so close to going to the World Series and we just missed it, that sort of thing. It's like still too soon, even all these years later. Or maybe it's just the feeling of knowing that the winner gets to realize the dream of going to Oklahoma City. Like as a team, like that's that's what you talk about. You know, when you bring it up as a team to end practice, it's like, what are you saying on three? You know, it was always OKC. 
after practices, after workouts, conditioning, whatever, it was OKC on three. And so when you know that the team that wins gets gets to go there, like they get there, that's just awesome. And with all this being said, like I know that there's so much drama and I have strong opinions about it. So many people have strong opinions about it. But really, it, it all goes back to this. The game doesn't care about your seed, your ranking, what happened last weekend. The game doesn't know who's supposed to win. Supposed to win? Like, no, that doesn't exist in softball. So just be grateful you get to play. Do it with a chip on your shoulder. That'll probably help, to be honest. Take care of business. Like, this whole thing had to be acknowledged because it is significant in terms of what happened, the timing, just everything. And we, we have things to address, right? Like, after the season and moving forward with college softball. But in the meantime, at this point, shut out the noise. Leave it all on the field. Play ball. So with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about being smart. And, you know, one thing my uncle used to do is think, like, oh, if I eat those Smarties, those little candies in the wrapper, like, yeah, that makes me smart, you know, when he was a kid. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is that it's not just about playing hard or working hard. You also have to be smart about it to be effective. One of the biggest and most surprising lessons that I probably learned is that just because you work hard doesn't mean that you will automatically meet all of your goals. And that's kind of hard to swallow because we're told growing up, like, oh, you work hard, you can do anything. And I think that's true. You can do anything if you work hard. Like it, accomplishing anything requires hard work it, to accomplish anything meaningful. But it's not just because you work hard, you get it. There's more to it. There is. Like that's life. So sometimes putting your head down and having too much tunnel vision where you never really like take a step back and think about the big picture, that can be counterproductive. You know, we hear people say all the time, like, trust the process. But to do that, you have to build a process that you know you can trust, right? So for example, this, this is going to seem kind of silly and primitive, but, but seriously, listen to this. Think about the invention of the wheel. Long, long time ago, centuries ago, however long. Before wheels were invented, if people needed to move something heavy from point A to point B, let's say just for fun, let's say a treasure treasure chest full of gold, whatever. It was hard, right? You got to push it. You got to pull it. Like it's heavy. It's not very efficient. But at some point, someone realized, hey, there's got to be a better way of doing this. Some work happened and then the wheel was invented. So when that happened, people were able to create wagons, dollies, coaches, whatever you want to call them, just more ways to roll heavy things and move them at a much faster pace. Because here's the thing, no matter how hard someone works at pushing that treasure chest up the hill, the person wheeling it up the hill will always be faster and in a better position and less drained. And that's the difference between just working hard and working smart. You have to look at the big picture and you have to focus on what you can control. Working smart means doing things like complementing a tough workout schedule with ample recovery time so you don't burn out, right? Or icing your arm after practice, even if you don't have pain at the time, but so you can keep it that way and prevent injuries. 
And in the working world, if you're at a company, this is translated to me in my experience. You have to have a good product if you want to be successful and stay successful over time. You got to have a quality product to sell or service or whatever it is, whatever you're offering. So you work hard at investing in making that product. But just having a good product doesn't automatically mean you're successful. If you have a good product and people don't know about it, it doesn't really do any good. It's kind of hard to sell it if they don't know it exists. <laughs> so, okay, let's look at the Pac-12 softball thing as an example. Fantastic product. The most successful conference in the history of college softball. But also, not just that, but also very successful this year specifically. Clearly, across the board, they are working hard at making a great product. And it's consistent. But the positioning that they got in the bracket for postseason doesn't reflect that. It didn't sell to the committee despite the quality of the product and the hard work of those programs. So what Mike Candrea is referring to is the working smart part. The Pac-12 has the product. I mean, man, <laughs> it goes without saying, to be honest. But now they can step it up more and invest in the promotion, the marketing, TV, etc. All of it's already there. It's just a matter of giving it more visibility. Plenty of people work hard at that already, but we can work smarter. That's his point. And this is why communication is so key. Man cannot live on the product alone. It's beyond that. And we all need to know this because you know what? You will have to sell yourself your entire life. For job interviews, your career, whatever. To do that, you have to tell your story. And, and I don't mean sell like a snake oil sales salesman, right? Like I'm talking about being authentic. Not selling something that's not true. This is authentic. This is being real to you. But if you don't tell your story, who will? Visibility creates opportunity. And you got to have both. You got to have hard work to be the best you can. And you have to have a smart approach to create visibility. They go hand in hand. So that's it. Work hard and work smart. That's the foul tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen, including Believe.com. You can also watch the videos on YouTube. I swear, it's super fun. You get me. <laughs> but hit that subscribe button, rate the show, and write a review. Share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Believe in Softball. Again, B-L-E-A-V. You can always reach out to me on Twitter, at JennaBecerra01, and Instagram, at JennaBecerra as well. I love hearing from you. Thank you all again for listening. I'll catch you soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.